Hey, we really hope that you'll take advantage of that resource because, it, as Phil mentioned, man, it's a, it's a quality resource. It's available to you, and it's something that you can make available to your friends as well. We're happy to cover the cost because we, we know what a great resource it is to help you in your own personal uh, devotion time and in your, your personal spiritual growth, which is, you know, it's, it's so much more as we follow Jesus. It's so much more than what we do here for an hour on Sunday mornings. This is just, you know, this is when we come together and celebrate a little bit and get to see each other and fellowship. But, but the majority of your spiritual growth is going to happen outside these walls. It's what God is doing in your life, you know, 24-7. And so we just want to provide resources for you to continue to grow. And, and that's what I love about this series also. We started last week called Love Does. And, and the whole emphasis behind it, the idea is that we don't want to be passive people. Man, I get, I get so discouraged when I see people that just seem like they're bumbling through life with no direction. And, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I really, don't, really don't have any intention behind anything. I'm just kind of letting life happen to me. And man, I just don't believe that that's who we've called to be. That God, God has called us to be people of action. That, and, and that's what love is. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that happens to us. I hate the expression. I, I really, this is nerdy, but I hate the expression. Oh, we just fell in love. And I'm like, you didn't fall. It's not like you tripped and fell. It, it didn't just happen to you. You chose to love. And when, when we talk about what love is and how it's expressed, not just in a, in a romantic way, but as and brotherly love, you know, in, in the way that we love our community, the way that we love God. We want to be people of passion and action. And if I were to ask anybody in this room, I mean, most everybody in this room, I, probably, maybe not all of us, but most all of us, if I asked you, do you love God? Most everybody would say, yeah, yeah, I, I love God. You know, especially if you're saved and you say, yeah, I know what he's done in my life and Jesus has, has changed me. You say, I love God. Maybe some people would say, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know what that means exactly. Still, you know, figuring all that out, which is fine. But I think we would all say, yeah, I, I, love, I love God. That, that defines me. But often where there's this disconnect is we think that it's a way that we're supposed to feel. So if I ask you, do you love God? You, you're thinking, oh, that's the way I feel about God. Yeah, I, I think I love God. I I have good feelings toward, toward God, and so, yeah, I, I assume that I love God. But it's so much more. It's not what we feel. It's what we do. It's what we choose. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes and tell you more about how we can make. And this is, this is where we're going today. We think about love does and what we're doing. We have to choose to make the time and to make the space. For, for that personal development and that action towards loving the Lord and worshiping Him in our personal lives and serving Him, working out our, our spiritual muscles a little bit. I mentioned to you last week, I really believe this, that the most valuable asset that we have right now is time. It's not our money, it's our time. And we, we are very cautious about how we spend it, sort of. Uh, because when, when it comes to certain things, we, we say, well, I never have any time, I never have any time, but then I'll... I'll waste three hours on Facebook or Instagram, just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And, and that's why you know, I kind of I you know, ragged on that a little bit last week. But I said this, this is kind of my main point last week, if, if you didn't get this or if you weren't here, is that we were, we were created for connection, but we drift towards isolation. 
So when we feel depressed or we feel stressed or life is hard, the default, you know, if we just kind of hit cruise control, where we will go is we'll, we'll sort of pull away to ourselves and sort of pull within ourselves and we'll kind of self-isolate. And I think we all feel that to a degree, you know. And, and again, I, I mentioned social media last week. And I had so many people that came up last Sunday and said, oh, my gosh, I agree with you. Because I, I believe that, that that has done more to make us isolate than anything else in recent history. That, you know, social media is just kind of really messing us up. And everybody's like, oh, I agree with that. I really agree with that. But we just go right back to it again, don't we? Like, we just can't stop. And it was so funny because I said that on Sunday and Monday... Facebook and Instagram, you may know this, it was down, like they had site problems, like all day on Monday. And the most hilarious part of that to me, well, number one, I was like, oh, what did I do? You know, this is all right. But, 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 the, but the, the, seriously, the funny part was people were freaking out legitimately they did not know what to do with themselves and then once it came back up everybody's posting like oh oh okay i'm fine i i survived facebook being down all day today but i'm, I'm still good i'm still here it's fine but it's like this is what happens when we take away your drug you don't know what to do with yourself you just it's that addiction and it's messing us up and i I want to kick the can down the road a little bit further today because i, I want us to fight the drift toward isolation but there's another side to the coin that we need to know about. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is having an exhausting day. And this is what I love about studying the Bible and, and especially studying the Gospels and looking at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. So he, he feels the same things that we feel. He's not above us or, you know, somewhere else. That, I mean, he's above us, but he's not disconnected from us in a way where he never experienced any human emotions. He experienced all of them. And in Mark 6, he's having just this, I mean, what we would call a terrible day. I mean, just a terrible season in life. We've all had the, those times where they're just so emotionally and physically draining. A lot of you know what that feels like. Have you ever felt, or maybe you would describe it as soul-tired? Like, I'm bone tired. It's not even like, oh, a nap is going to cure this. Like, I am so exhausted, I need to take like a month to go just live on an island somewhere and, and check out. I'm so exhausted. And I think for me, and probably for most all of us, when I feel the most tired is when I'm facing things in life that are particularly unfair. Whether it's a death, a tragedy, or you know, something in life. Whenever it's something that's just, it is very, very unfair. There's a lot of emotions and stress and worry, and wears you out. That, that does it for me. I think that does it for a lot of us. It, it'll, just, it'll just destroy your, your uh, emotional well-being. You know, it's one thing when you've had a long day's work, and then you can rest and recharge, and you're ready for the next day. But when you're soul-tired, you're dealing with things that don't have easy resolutions. You know, it's not like tomorrow things are just going to get better. You know that this is a journey, and and uh, I don't know what, what is in store, and we're going to have to walk through this for a little while. And as a pastor, I, I speak at a lot of funerals. had one the other day, as a matter of fact. But uh, it's one of those things that kind of goes with the territory. And, uh, and I always feel honored to be able to minister to a family and walk alongside them a little bit. 
and and it's hard because when you do that you really in that in that position you get a front row seat to people's grief i mean you're seeing things in, in a way it's, it's hard to describe but four years ago i was asked to officiate the most difficult funeral that i've ever officiated uh it was it was for two young boys they were both about my son's age at the time and they were they were in elementary school and they were both tragically murdered it was absolutely horrific and your heart just shattered in a million pieces for this family and and if there was any anything that any of us could have done for them I mean if there anybody in the world if there was anything that we could have done you'd have done it in a moment but there was nothing that anybody could do and of course it, it just we could just be there I remember at the funeral service of course there's all these people from their schools and teachers and friends and family members I mean it's just packed out people were hanging out the funeral parlor I mean it, there were people that couldn't even be inside because there was no more space it was that it was that uh, full and the thing that struck me the most was there there was so much grief you, know, you go to some funerals and they're sad but somebody's like 90 and it's like well they lived a good life they saw their kids grow up they've seen their grandkids you know they've had a lot and okay and now they're in heaven with the Lord and it, it's sad because we miss them but it's like okay it's kind of the you know the, the, the way of life but this one that man it was nothing good there was nothing good about that day and you looked at the family they were exhausted and of course they were I mean this has been just absolutely devastating so tragic so senseless there was nothing good that nothing there was no there was no angle there was no way to look at that day and say well at least and there was no silver lining not none are they in heaven with Jesus of course but that did little to help cut the pain that day. Senseless tragedy wears you out like nothing else. And if you've been through it, then you know. And you know what that feels like. Whether even if it was something in your childhood, it was some abuse, or there was a divorce, or maybe it's been in your relationships, or with your kids, or with somebody that you loved, or whatever. When it feels like there's no rhyme or reason, no big, obvious, grander plan here. It's just hard. And for Jesus, to give you a little background, in Mark 6, he's having this exhausting, this terrible day. One of the closest people in his life was a relative, his cousin, John the Baptist. And John was preparing the way for Jesus. And along the way, uh, John was arrested by King Herod. And the Bible says that Herod sort of respected John. He, he kind of liked the things that John said. He was always interested in some of his teachings and some of the things he said. But his wife, Herod's wife, hated John. And the main reason why is because Herod, he's kind of a, he's, he's a pretty messed up guy. He, uh, he kind of stole his brother's wife. He ended up marrying his brother's wife and taking her and all this. And John just stood up and said, hey, that's not right. God's not happy with that. You, you shouldn't have done that. And so Herod's wife just hated his guts. And uh, so he, he was arrested. And one day Herod is throwing this big party. He's invited all these people. I mean, the place is packed. Having this huge celebration. And his daughter, Herod's daughter, comes out. And this is so twisted. I mean, you talk about meaningless and weird and everything else. But Herod's daughter comes out in front of the whole crowd of people. And she just starts doing this sensual dance. 
it's kind of like this striptease thing, and everybody's just enamored by the show, and it's so sick. Herod's watching his daughter, and he's, he's really pleased with this. And in the middle of this whole messed up situation, he says to his daughter, he says, man, you did such a great job. That was so great. You entertained us all. I'll give you a gift. Anything you want. What do you want? And she went to her mother and said, what should I ask for? And her mom said, well, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so she did. She said, oh, this is what I want. I want you to have John the Baptist beheaded and bring his head out here on a platter for all of us to see. And that's exactly what he did. Herod had that done. Where's the sense in that? You think about a guy that served God faithfully. He's a cousin to Jesus. Preparing the way. You think, okay, big plans, big purpose. You think a guy like that, maybe he's going to go down, he's going to die for his faith, or there'll be some big thing. But he died because this little girl did a strip tease and then said, oh, let's kill that guy. Like, where's the fairness in that? I mean, just this stupid tragedy, and John dies because of it. And then when Jesus gets word of this, and the disciples, they, they arrange to get John's body so that they could bury him. And this is what happens next. In, in Mark 6, verse 31, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves, guys, to a quiet place, and let's rest a while. You probably understand why he feels that way. I mean, he's broken. He's shattered. This is it's unbelievable. Let, let's just get off a little bit. If we can go to a quiet place and rest. And he said this because not only was he dealing with this grief, but there are also so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left for a boat, left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. And some of you have jobs that are high stress, and there's always, you just feel like everybody wants a little piece of you all the time. And you just can't get away. And so you know that that tiredness. And then you add to the emotional grief. I was talking to somebody one day. They said, man, I, I just have this high-stress job. And people are always coming at me. And I just lost my mother like a couple of weeks before. And she said, I almost wanted to get a T-shirt that said, I just lost my mom. Please go easy. Because I just want people to know, like, I, I don't want to snap at you, but I'm right there. I've got very little patience. I'm worn out. And this is Jesus. You, you see this with him a lot. There are so many times in the New Testament where it says that he went off to a hillside to pray alone. Or he went off by himself to a solitary place. And you may think, does that mean, does that, mean that Jesus was drifting toward isolation? Because we're created for connection, but we will drift towards isolation in times of stress, in times of pain or trouble. Is that what we see with Jesus? You've got to understand this. And this is, this is a game changer. If you really don't get anything else, you, you really, really got to know this. Write this down. Take a picture of the screen. Whatever. Don't miss it. Solitude and isolation are not the same. They're very different. Solitude is not isolation. And isolation is not solitude. And here's really the difference. Solitude prepares you. Isolation just tears you down. When we isolate, when we, when we draw in, all of a sudden the enemy's got, a, he's got us, you know, he's, he's in our ear and he's telling us things. Man, you'll, you're, you're nothing. You'll never amount to anything. You know, look at you. You failed again. You know, nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's going to trust you. You're never going to amount to much. That's, that's the place of isolation where we're just 
in this lonely place where we're just torn down again and again. Solitude is when we, if we love God and we're seeking time with him. I just want to be with the Lord. I just want to be, I want to hear from him. I want to spend time. I want my soul to connect with him. I want to hear his voice. I want to have that time. This is really where the rubber meets the road. If we love God, it's not about feelings. It's about what we do. Because when you're having a bad day or you're having a bad month or a bad year, you're not going to feel great. You know, we can fake it. We can try to pretend like everything's wonderful and grand, but you know that you're not okay. And there are times when we face tragedy and we wonder, could Jesus even understand? Could he possibly understand what I'm going through right now? And the truth is, he does. He knows exactly what senseless tragedy feels like. He lost some of the people that were closest to him, and he himself had to go through all this suffering. He didn't do anything, but he did it for us. And in those moments of anxiety or depression, our default would be to disengage to pull back a little bit and isolate that's what the enemy wants so he can just continue to chip away at us but there's something better that we can pursue there is something so much it's so life-giving you're going to find so much goodness and growth there it's not isolation it's not i'm going to run off and be by myself so i can have a pity party or that i can just stew in my depression but it's it's this Moments of solitude, quietly resting and being in the presence of God. And if you haven't experienced that, if you don't know, if I, it feels like I'm speaking Greek to you, man, you've got to explore this for yourself. What does it look like to just quietly rest in the presence of our God and just being there? The scripture says a lot about being still. Just be still and know that I'm God. You don't have to rush off to the next thing. Sometimes it's good to just quiet ourselves down. And when we hurt, when, when we're in pain, it's just kind of a, I think it's a natural defense. When we hurt, we get angry at people. You know, I, anger is a secondary emotion. Anger, it's a secondary emotion. It's influenced by fear or pain. When we're afraid and when we hurt, it leads us to become angry. But when we, when we hurt, we get angry. Hurt people hurt people. And the real reason behind that is because we want, I think at least, we want somebody to fix it. So I get angry and I get ticked off because I want somebody to do something. Make it better. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to go through this. And in that moment, we're looking to people to do the work that only God can do in us. I want somebody else to fix me. I want somebody else to make the pain go away. And there's nothing that anybody can do. Occasionally, I, I experience this. Somebody will get upset with me, and it kind of takes me off guard. Like, whoa, where did that, where did that come from? I, what did I do? You know, it's just sort of this weird reaction. Like, what happened? And, and, and they can't even describe it because it's not anything that I did or anybody else did. But they don't even know what they want somebody to do. They're just wounded. But only God can heal that stuff. Only the Lord. And let's go back and look at Jesus again. He's emotionally drained from losing John. He's trying to get away and have a little solitude. But this is what happens in the next verse. Verse 33, it says, but, I mean, God can't catch a break. Because that many people recognize them. And they saw them leaving. They're trying to just get away. But people see him, and, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore, and they got there ahead of him. 
You ever feel like you just come out of the frying pan into the fire? That's Jesus. He's worn out. He just can't get away. He's, and, and these people won't leave him alone. And they, they're running up ahead, meeting where he's going. You ever, you ever have those, those times, those moments? You're like, I just can't catch a break. How do you respond? What, what do you do then? I, I, think, I think if this were me, if I were Jesus, I would have been angry. I think I, I think I would have been ticked off. I probably would have yelled at people to give me some space. You know, can you all just leave me alone? Give me an hour. Give me a moment. Get, let me catch my breath for just a little bit. But you just keep coming after me. You're coming at me. And the word had traveled by this time. They... These people that were following Jesus, they, they knew what had happened. I have full confidence that they'd already heard about what had happened with John the Baptist at Herod's party. They knew. I mean, this is, this is big news. So they already knew Jesus is suffering. He's drained. He's tired. But they were so needy and probably really self-focused. They wouldn't let him rest up even for a day. How do you think Jesus responded? I mean, I would have been ticked. I think maybe some of us would have cried, and maybe we would have tried to go run and hide somewhere or whatever. But this is, this is why Jesus is so irresistible. The next verse, it says, He saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. I mean, just a sea of people. And said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This, this is the nature of our God. He never casts us aside. Sometimes we feel, well, maybe God's too busy to deal with my little problems. You know, he's got the whole world to deal with. And he's, there's a lot of bigger issues out there than what, what my issues are. And, man, I'm encouraged by verses like this that reminds me he has compassion. He sees us exactly where we are, and he loves us, and he knows us. It says a few verses later that the disciples said to him, they said, Jesus, you know, it's getting really late right now. Why don't you send these people away? Tell them to leave so that we can get some rest and then we can go buy some food somewhere. Because at this point, they hadn't eaten, they hadn't rested, they hadn't had a, a moment just to kind of catch their breath. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's feed them. Let's take care of these people. And this is a, a great miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. And I think it's interesting when we talk about how many people were there. The scripture says that he fed 5,000 men and their families. So more realistically, it would have been closer to probably 15,000 people that were there. That's how huge this crowd was. I mean, just, just overwhelming. Can, can you imagine how draining that must have been? If you've ever worked in food service, man, I took one of my boys out the other night to Texas Roadhouse. They were just, uh, Texas Roadhouse on a Friday night, it was like slammed. I felt so bad for our waiter because he was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't, don't even worry about it, man. You, like, every, you're just trying to cover this whole building, you know. But if you've ever worked in food service or maybe you've worked a concession stand with a long line, you think, man, I know how tiring that feels. You're just trying to take care of everybody, running all over the place. This is on the back of his emotional pain. Now he's physically exhausted. And the scripture says that immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake while he sent the people home. And after telling everybody goodbye, he then went up to the hills by himself to pray. Jesus was not isolating. 
He was worn out, but he was not isolating. He was seeking solitude. He was seeking a moment by himself to connect with the Father, to be charged up, to be refreshed. He was going to be by himself so that he could be in the presence of the Lord. There's something powerfully healing about silently being in God's presence in the stillness of solitude. It prepares you. God does something there in those moments. And what I, what I wanted to give us an opportunity to, I know that we've all, today, we've all got things on our minds and maybe obligations or appointments or places that we're going to have to be and what we need to do. But before we rush off to all that stuff, I just wanted to give us a couple of minutes just to take a deep breath and just say, okay, Lord, just speak to me. Just refresh my soul. You know, these are the things, I mean, and talk to him. Lord, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through, and I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to turn. And maybe we're not looking for answers. We're just looking for his presence. We're just looking for the presence of the Lord when his spirit rests on our spirit, and we know that he is with us. So just take a few moments and just be. In the way. 